Good evening. I mean, good morning. As you can tell, we're, uh, we're kind of switching things up a little bit today. Um, we've decided to have a little bit of fun with it by reversing our usual order of worship. Unless you are one of those guys that backs into every available parking spot, do we have any of those? Ladies, just point them out right now. Um, <laughs> unless you are one of those guys... At some point, you will use the reverse gear. Now, I've seen some interesting things having been in the fast food in industry when I was, when I was in college. Um, I've had people come through the, the drive-thru and order pizza before. They were obviously high and at the wrong drive-thru. Um, I've had people fight in drive-thru. There's been all sorts of interesting things, but one of the funniest things I remember is the sound went off in my ear, and I, I took the order, but when the car pulled up, I didn't see the front of it. It was the back, and he had reversed. And so his passenger gave me the money, and I said, what, what are you all doing? And the driver said, he wanted to order, and I was just too lazy to take the order and give it to you and give his money, so I just thought I'd back through and let him do it. And so that's what he did. You're going to use reverse at some point in your life. Now, you might need to use reverse because there's an obstruction in front of you, and you need to go backwards in order to get around it. You might need to use reverse because you've left something or someone behind, and you need to go back to get them. Now, with these things in mind, I want us to take a little look into our past today, and I want to pause here to thank Dean Howard for uh, a little history that we got on the Southwest uh, Church of Christ here and for our administrative assistance on helping me uh, gather this and get this information together. On February 11th, 1962, the Southwest Congregation met for the very first time. Nine families who formerly worshipped with the Seward Street Church of Christ met at the first Federal Savings and Loan Building. That was their first worship service. Uh, that was in Countryside Village. One, one member remarked on those early meetings and said this, we were small in number, but we had such big ideas. In early April, just a couple of months later, a house was rented in the Westgate area, classes were upstairs, and worship was downstairs. They continued to, uh, to, to think about what they needed to do, and they purchased a 2.26 uh, acres of land at 115th and West Center Road in April, on April 3rd of 1962. It was only a year after that meeting that we erected a building on West Center Road. It was not the building of our dreams, but for a congregation with an attendance fewer than 75, it was a major accomplishment and a big step of faith. And how proud we were. We hardly even bothered to think about the debt for which we had obligated ourselves. By April 1964, two years later, attendance had reached 90. And in June 1964, Albert Gardner moved to Omaha as the congregation's first full-time preacher. In May 1971, the first elders were appointed, with other elders being appointed in 1975, 1979, 1994, 2000, 
and then we've had a few more since then. The building continued to expand as more property was purchased to accommodate the growing church. Alan Watson came on board as outreach and youth minister, and Alan became the first executive director of Nebraska Christian Services, which used to run out of the same offices. An independent agency created to offer unwed mothers counseling and an alternative to abortion. And our first adopting family, Russ and Nan Neal, gave a little baby girl her first home, naming her Sarah. And if you don't know, if you're newer here, Nan still worships with us. Is Nan? Nan's right here. So awesome, awesome stuff. And because of that, we've had so many great stories of continuing adoption and God putting children in homes. As attendance grew, it became apparent that additional auditorium space was needed because we plateaued at about 400 members. And there we yo-yoed. Parking was limited, classrooms were limited, facilities were all limited. Expansion phases were investigated several times, but for whatever reason, we now believe it was God's reason, expansion didn't happen. In November of 1997, a call from the minister at the Love and Grace Family Church to our minister, Kurt Sparks, started the ball rolling towards the acquisition of this building that we're in right now. You see, the Love and Grace Church that was meeting here was shrinking, and they needed to move to a smaller building they could manage better. And Southwest was growing and needed more space. And so we swapped buildings. It was as if God's hands were moving the chess pieces and saying, now is the time. This is the time that is right for you to take this step forward for the sake of God's kingdom. There was a night which each elder, along with Mel, Lynn, David, and Mike, went to our knees in prayer around the table in the fellowship hall to seek God's will for us. It was a hilltop evening as we considered the implementation team had expended so much work, and now we were on the verge of wiping all that effort out on the basis of the new information about this facility. The business transaction was consummated on February 26, 1998, and the first worship service for the Southwest family here was March 1, 1998. Southwest started to wonder, what do we do with the blessings that God has given us? This nice new building and all the things, so we started a, a stewardship campaign to figure out how can we manage this building well, how can we be a witness in all of Omaha? An outside consultant was hired to help us out, suggested a goal of raising $340,000. After a lot of prayer, we decided that wasn't enough and that we were going to go for a goal of $625,000. God led the Southwest families toward equal sacrifice but not equal giving. I believe Rod Gobin coined that phrase. More than $625,000 was pledged by this church towards retiring the note within three years. Stories of college students giving 10% of their summer earnings, high school students giving their earnings from babysitting, uh, and, and all sorts of other sacrifices were undoubtedly a sweet aroma to God as we learned that stewardship was indeed a matter of spiritual growth and maturity. Gifts of all sizes from those who had moved away as they honored their commitment, 
all led to grateful thanksgiving for God's filling our collective cups with the blessings asked for and received. Now that's just a little snapshot, a little history of our church. And here we are 60-something years later meeting here because of those things that happened early. So why do we look back? Why look backwards? Isn't the past in the past? God's Word actually has quite a bit to say about remembering the past and where we come from. We should look into our past to review the leaders that we had, the lessons that we learned, and the strength of a good God that brought us through to today. So let's start out by talking about our leaders. Now, over the years, God has blessed Southwest with godly men and women that have ministered to us in various ways. And here you see uh, a list of our pulpit ministers and other ministers, and I apologize if I, if I left anyone out, didn't get anyone on the list. These people have preached God's word, supported small group Bible studies, taught our children, encouraged evangelism, inspired us to deeper discipleship, and very importantly, modeled a Jesus-following lifestyle. Or you might have been inspired by one of our ministry interns, or a servant-hearted deacon, a discerning and wise elder, or what we call our shepherds, a ministry leader, or even a fellow member that might have guided you through some not-so-good times. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 7, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Notice it doesn't say fear your leaders. It doesn't say worship your leaders. This is not talking about voting for someone because of their charisma or because of their good looks. This is not a popularity contest. This is remembering our leaders. And why do we remember our leaders? Because they spoke the word of God to us. They didn't just give us their opinion. They passed on the wisdom of God. And we remember our leaders, uh, we're told to consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So what I want us to remember from this first part as we look about looking back is that we need to copy the convictions of our respective leaders. Copy the convictions of our respected leaders. The Greek word here is the word where we get our word mimic. And I don't know how many of you used to watch the I Love Lucy show, but one of the, my favorite uh, scenes from that show is when another comedian named Harpo Marx was there. And Lucy decided to dress up just like Harpo and pretend like there was a mirror between them, but there wasn't. And so Lucy would mimic every activity, and Harpo would do things, and she would exactly mimic what was done. This is the same thing. Find someone. Who is that someone that has inspired you as a leader? Someone who you love, someone who you've learned from, someone who you watch from afar and you admire. And it says mimic what they, how they live. Copy their convictions. So the Bible tells us to remember our leaders, but it also tells us to remember the tough times in our past. The Bible tells us that we need to rehash our hardships. We need to rehash our hardships. Now, what is the first thing that you usually want to do when you've gone through a really difficult time? Do I want to remember it and celebrate it? No. I want to forget about it. 
But God does something different. He says, I want you to actually remember it. God encourages remembrance, but why would God want us to remember pain and suffering? Why would God want us to do that? Deuteronomy chapter 5 and verse 15 says this, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. In Deuteronomy, or here we see that the formerly enslaved Israelites are being reminded, you were slaves. Now you would think, I don't want to be reminded that I was a slave. And here we see God saying, remember that you were slaves. But why would God do this? In Deuteronomy chapter 15, and then again in in chapter 24, we see God reminding them, and he says, you know why I'm reminding you that you were slaves? Because I want you to treat slaves right. So if there are people that are working for you that don't have a way of life and they come to you and they say, I want to be your slave, you remember that you were once a slave to someone else and don't mistreat them. And so what God is wanting, sometimes when God says, remember the bad things of your past, the reason God wants us to rehash our hardships is so that we can sympathize with others going through similar struggles. God knows that it does our heart good when we gather with others that have gone through similar struggles. After all, what do we think church is all about? Another reason God wants us to rehash our hardships is to see how God brought us through. We might be tempted to think, well, we just waited it out, or we dug ourselves out, but we need to give God the glory for coming through the dark days. Jesus instituted a very important remembrance about the darkest day in history. In Luke chapter 22, verses 19 and 20, it says this, and we're going to do this here in just a little bit. He took bread, he gave thanks, and he broke it, and he gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood, which is poured out for you. Jesus didn't give the disciples a piece of chocolate that was shaped like a tomb that when you broke it open, surprise, Jesus isn't there. He didn't give them a remembrance of the part that was fun. He took some bread and he ripped it apart and he said, this is my body. This is what's going to happen to my body. He took this cup that had wine in it and he said, this is like my blood that's about to be poured out for you. Remember this when you drink it. Remember the sacrifice that I'm about to make. Remember this unpleasant thing. The good thing is is that we know the good news that happened afterwards. And so it's bittersweet. But he instituted this memory of something that was terrible. Our culture is doing a thing these days where we want to erase the terrible parts of history because we don't want to remember them, right? We don't want to repeat them. Now, on this, we can all agree. Do we want to repeat the mistakes of the past? No. No one wants to repeat the mistakes of the past. But where they get it wrong is when they say, let's also not remember it at all. God doesn't say that. God says we need to remember the mistakes that we have made. We need to remember our past mistakes. We need to remember our past struggles. We need to remember our past agendas. We need to remember our past wars that we fought. We need to remember our past crimes. 
we need to remember our past attitudes and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. If we fail to rehash our hardships, we only remember the good decisions we've made and the good things that have happened to us, we run the risk of thinking that we're pretty good people. And we short-circuit the mighty power of God that has brought us through those times. One of the things I love about this church is that I've heard our leaders get up and say, we have made mistakes. Church, we have made mistakes. Can you say it with me? We have made mistakes. Isn't that freeing? We are not perfect people. We've made mistakes, and when we look at our past, there are mistakes, and mistakes will continue to be made. But by the grace of God, we will continue to grow. We will continue to seek his will. We will continue to try to get better. But we have made mistakes, and we will look at those and remember them. And the last thing when we look back as we reverse is that we need to meditate. We need to meditate on God's might. Psalm chapter 77, verses 11 and 12 says this, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will consider all your works and meditate on your mighty deeds. Church, we need to also look into the past and remember all the good things that God has brought us through. We need to remember all the terrible things, but then how God has brought us through. Remember the the early a member of this church that said, we had such big ideas, and look what their big ideas have brought us to. Because of the big ideas of people before us, we now sit here today. Because of the sacrifices of teenagers and college students giving at that campaign, we're sitting in a building that is now ours. Because of the sacrifices of people and, uh, behind us and because of God's grace, we are where we are today. And so we celebrate. We remember God's might as he continues to bring us through. Now next week, we're going to continue looking backwards. But next week, we're not going to look as a church. We're going to look as individuals. We're going to take a look back at my life. And you're going to look at your life. And we're going to see where God has brought us. Because we need to look backwards before we can look forwards. Now, maybe you're looking back at your life and you realize there are mistakes that you are not proud of. Maybe you are feeling a need for God and you want to know that our our shepherds and our wives are going to be at the doors. They're ready to pray with you. Maybe you want to start your journey with God today and start your history with him right now. We want you to be able to do that. If you have any need, you can go see the elders at the back or you can come front. We We would love to pray with you as we stand and sing together.